Let's go. When I first showed up here, I couldn't believe how many dogs were out running free. They crossed roads and meandered through the old town on secret missions, digging up old bones and sniffing out neighbors. That dog's going to get hit by a car, I remember saying to a friend. He said, no, no, they'll be fine. Trust me. They help slow down traffic. Sure enough, we stopped and waited as a grizzled old husky named Heidi crossed in front of our truck, taking her sweet time. And now my dog Penny is one of those old town dogs. I open the door in the morning, and she goes out to her own secret spots. Sometimes I follow her down the road to give a quick hello to Buttercup, who's usually sleeping in the sunny dirt road. Caldwell, and the black one whose name I think is Shadow, gives us a few barks to let us know that this is her road. We may head over to Bryson Drive, where there's a pileup of kids and bicycles. This is Old Town Summer. Parents are nowhere to be seen, and the day is full of free-ranging possibilities. The dog has now disappeared, so we'll start here. Here we are with Pontiac and Sadie, and they've recently written a song that isn't quite finished. What is it called? Uh, we don't have a name We haven't it. named it yet. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, what inspired it? Um, well, we just kind of want to write a song because we were bored. And so we just started making up lines, and then we found out that it feels a lot like what's happening like right now. Like in like self-isolation and like COVID stuff. Great. Well, let's let's hear it. Staring at a wall, radio blaring in my ears. Outside world calls, my new world is full of fears. Feels like I'm the only one, and can't even remember when I last saw the sun. And then the all, chorus, oh, yeah. all the oh, colors yeah. faded to gray. All my fondness floated away. That's really good. <laughs> you heard it here first on Ragged Old Town. <laughs> Okay, so it's July the 3rd? 3rd. 3rd. Got a couple of ladies here, and I'm just going to have have them introduce themselves. Hi. Uh-huh. I'm Rosalind Mercury. Um, that's it, I guess. <laughs> that's it? That's it. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> that's the Rosalind Mercury. Hi, I'm Bree, and I have here with me... Fran Herkum. Eva Paul. Sadie Mitchell. Cynthia Brown. Alyssa Holland. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's well, that's the Sheila Bassey Cohen. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is Sarah Erasmus in West Delo, and you're listening to Ragged Pine Show. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Welcome to the Ragged Old Town, an Old Town Ramblin' Ride Festival podcast. Down the hill to the Ragged Old Town, wood smoke wheels and familiar sounds coming down the hill to the Ragged Old Town. My name's Jana Graham. Today's show, Wild Women. I talked to a few of my neighbors about how they arrived in this Ragged Old Town and why they stayed. Okay, so why don't you tell me your name, your age? Hi, well, my name's Sadie Mitchell, and I'm 10. Um, that's my name and my age. <laughs> There's more than three decades age difference between Sadie and I, and yet we're just friends biking around the old town on a hot July day. So where are we right now? Where are we biking? We're um, biking to the bike park. I mostly come here just to talk and socialize with people. 
Okay, so you're um, getting a bit of uh, speed. <laughs> yes, that's the word. You're getting a bit of speed and you're going to do jumps. So uh, let's see this. That's awesome. This is the kind of community where old timers and the young and those of us somewhere in between share the same campfire. It's a family with somewhat revolving cast, some that come and go and some that never leave. Tiffs, rivalries, and love triangles. We both came to Yellowknife when we were in our formative years, yes, right? Yes. <coughs> That's right. So I came right out of my undergrad degree, came north, you, when you arrived in town, though. Yeah, I arrived. Um, I was 19, 19 years old. I was married, I was pregnant, and I was a high school dropout. <laughs> so the roads for success is not always, you know, not always paved. Sometimes there's a bit of gravel. In uh, the beginning, I guess, of uh, 1975, I was living in Toronto. I had been uh, gone from the farm to the city and then kind of got tired of uh, the city life there. And I got the idea I wanted to go up north. I, I didn't really know how to go there or what it was or where it was, really. I was just uh, reading books by Grey Owl and Farley Mowat and uh, kind of dreaming about this is, this is where I wanted to go. So uh, I started out, I took the train from Toronto to Edmonton. I got a job in a bar. There was these guys coming into the bar every day and before long I was sitting and drinking with them. And then uh, they said, um, well, we're going to Yellowknife. Do you want to come with us? So I said, sure, exactly. That's exactly what I want to do. And uh, so I packed my, my bag and hopped in the car and 24 hours later we were um, in, in Yellowknife. The first job I got was Gold Range Waitress. But I walk in my first day and I've never waitressed in my life. And so Sam hires me and I work a Tuesday night. And so at the end of my shift, I have made $17 in tips and I lose my mind. I am so happy. <clears throat> and the other waitresses are like, oh my God, this woman is just, she's such a loser. Because they're making 300 bucks, right? This was the heyday of the range. A Tuesday, you would pull down really good money. And so Sam sees this and thinks I need a lot of help, obviously, remedial waitressing. So he flags me over <clears throat> this stool right back by the door where he used to sit. And he says, hey, so if you want to make money here, there's a few ways you can do this, you know. So one way is, you know, that back in the day, <clears throat> before debit machines and everything else, people would pull their money out, put it on the table, slush fund, right? Everyone's sitting around buying beers, money's on the middle of the table. And so he said, you know what you do? You wet the bottom of your tray before you go up there, right? Like, get get the bottom of the tray, go up with your beer order, put it down right on top of the pile of money. And you never know. Like, it might be a $2 bill, might be a 20 You never know what's going to stick. And I thought, oh, my God, if I have to dip that low, that will be a sad day in hell. Old Town musician Tracy Riley with her cover of the Ida Cox song, Wild Women Don't Get the Blues.
But I stayed in Smith, I became an accountant, raised my kids, and then I also went onto town council. I was the youngest female town council member, you know, I was in my early 30s. So I was a little bit of a rebel in the old town council. So one time they, uh, we were having the discussion, one of the things was smoking. You know, I had an impassioned talk about, you know, secondhand smoke and how we know the dangers of smoking now and how we should be doing all these things. And so then they had this article on the, on the smoking bylaw, but all everybody was, you know, quoted of saying all their little things that they said. And then it comes to me and it says, this is the 90s, said Councillor Mercury. And that was it. Just like I woke up from my stupor, said this is the 90s, and sat down. And never, not anything else that I said was mentioned in that article. It was the, the family joke forever. This is the 90s. Still comes up in many conversations. Still her counselor, does her job, knows the decade. I'm not saying anything. Okay, <laughs> this is Bubbles, and you're listening to Ragged Old Town. Perfect. See, that wasn't hard. <laughs> um, we are riding up the hill to Pilot's Monument. Will we make it? Ah! No, you're gonna make it. Come on. No, this is the hardest part. Okay, we have made it to the top of the hill on our bikes without having to stop and walk. Now we are walking up to Violet's Monument. <sighs> now we are running up. <sighs> yeah. Whew. Beautiful day. We're looking at um, Yellowknife Bay and Great Slave Lake beyond there, as far as you can see. Um, so we're looking at the houseboats, the government dock, which is the next spot I'm going to take you, and uh, looking at the water. And the bay's basically like my home because I live on the island. What's it like to live on Jollof Island? Um, well, I wouldn't know much about this, but it's work, my parents tell me. We don't have a, we can't flush our toilet, so it's a composting toilet, so they have to clean the composting toilet, and they have to dump out the pee bucket, and oh, But it's very nice, because you can just go swimming whenever you want, run down the path and jump off the dock. I like swimming a lot. Um, and also, it's just like, like camping all the time, kind of. It is July the 2nd and we're in the, the school bus studio and I've got three lovely women musicians. Hi, I'm Bree. I'm the lead singer and songwriter for uh, Flora and the Fireweeds and I have here with me Eva Paul. Alyssa Holland. So um, what song are you going to, to start with tonight? Um, I'm going to start with one. Uh, it's a bit of a country song. It's called uh, Back Bay. So, you know, real local flavor to it. <laughs> and yeah, we'll just uh, hit it off with that one. The snow crunches down 
This is Heidi Kane, and you're listening to Ragged Old Town for the 14th annual Ramblin' Ride. It was like almost instant this became home. It was like, it was bang, a switch flipped in my brain, and it was like, here I am. You know, we needed a place to live, so I heard that I should go and see Lou Rocher. He lived in the old town, and he had some small shacks to rent here in the woodyard. He welcomed me in. I sat down in a chair and kind of told him who I, who I was and who I knew. <laughs> and uh, he was uh, just kind of smiling like the whole time. And uh, he said, uh, "Okay, um, here's the key to this little shack over there. Just he said it's really small. Just go and uh, see what you think." And of course, I went. Uh, and looked at this shack, which was called the, we called the caboose. It was just uh, a little, like, caboose that could be dragged behind a cat train or something like that. I said, this is just great. This is just great. I lived there for 10 years, I guess, in that shack. When I'm wandering around the old town, I can feel the spirit of the women who lived here and I've learned about through stories. Down in the woodyard, Doreen Rocher ran a boarding home from her Quonset hot house, which was already packed full of her own kids. She had an open door for folks that needed a hot meal and a bed. And when people from the communities could have stayed uptown, they wanted to stay down here with the Rochers because you never know what was going to happen, but it wasn't going to be boring. Fran Hercombe, a writer and photographer, has this story, which is in an upcoming collection of stories that she's about to publish. You can hear the entire story, along with others about the old town, in a separate download on this Ragged Old Town podcast. Uh, this is a story I wrote uh, called Busted. It's set in about 1978 or so in Yellowknife. It started out as a normal summer Saturday evening in the woodyard. Although it was after 8 p.m., the sun was still high in the cloudless sky. The woodyard is a cul-de-sac in Yellowknife's Willow Flats. Originally, it had been an actual woodyard filled with hundreds of cords of firewood destined for use at the city's two gold mines. 
By the late 1960s, it had outlived that use and became a small, neglected residential area of shacks on untitled land. It became renowned for its salty characters and booze-soaked parties, which often lasted months. This was my first summer in the woodyard. In May, I had moved from the Ottawa house two streets away to my own little caboose. At $60 a month, it was affordable and I was enjoying the solitary life. There was a bit of extra entertainment in the woodyard that night. A small crowd watched as a D4 cat tried to drag Einer Broughton's old shack off its foundation and down the street to a new location on Joe's Beach. The solidly built shack seemed to be holding up well to this assault. The growing crowd cheered at every inch gained and booed enthusiastically every time the shack fought back. Slowly but surely, the shack was moving ahead, although it was shaping up to be a long, hard fight. A small portable radio played country music and provided a familiar soundtrack for the task. In the background, I felt, rather than heard, a change in the atmosphere. It seemed suddenly very quiet. 12-year-old Michael, who lived on nearby Ragged Ass Road, ran around the corner of the shack. Gord, the cops are here. They're looking for you. His eyes were huge. Then, on cue, two large RCMP officers appeared behind him. Well, said one, looks like we found you. You Gordon Jones? Yep. Gord's normally dark tan had faded significantly to my eyes, although maybe it wasn't noticeable to the cops. I'm Corporal McIntosh. This is Constable Black, said the older of the two Mounties. The owners of the Cameron Mine have reported one of their skidoos missing. They said you were the last person out there in the spring. Gord's color returned slightly and a smile flitted across his lips. I knew this was not what he'd been dreading. Yeah, I was out there all right. I came to town just before breakup. Flew out with, with Dangerous Dan. Sure didn't bring any skidoo back with me. We were in a 185. You can ask him if you want. Behind us, we could hear the loud, crackling noise of a radio. Constable Black went over to the squad car and picked up the microphone. Incident in the valley. Possible gunshots. Okay, we'd better take that. McIntosh looked again at Gord. We'll be back to finish this conversation. With that, they were gone, sirens shrieking down the dusty little road to the valley. Shit, said Gord to his girlfriend, Emily, who'd just emerged from the shack. Emily was my closest friend in the woodyard. How long do you think we have, she asked. Not long. Depends on what's happening down there, I guess. We need to move them. Jeez, how are we going to do that? We need a truck, said Gord. His eyes roved over the small knot of neighbors who had gathered expectantly beside his porch. He looked at me. Is your truck running these days? Yep. I replied with some hesitation. I knew exactly what it was he had to move. Yeah, it should be fine. I'll go get it. Okay, thanks. With that, Gord was on his feet and into the greenhouse, followed by Emily. I ran down the street and into my shack. Luckily, the truck keys were hanging right where they should have been. I started up the old International, let it idle for a moment, and reversed across the woodyard. As I backed up to the greenhouse, I could see that an assembly line of helpers had formed and was quickly passing heavy five-gallon pails out of the greenhouse. In the pails were magnificent, towering plants, some taller than me. Pot plants. Marijuana, weed, smoke, call it what you will. Emily and I clambered into the back of the truck as the pails were hoisted up. How many are there, I asked. 26, replied Emily. Shit, that's going to be a tight fit. Many hands make light work, as they say, and the truck was over half full. Those partiers who weren't helping to load stared in amazement at the bounty. Even the shack movers had strolled over to check it out. Another five minutes and we'd have the truck loaded. I figured I would park it out of sight down behind the old garage. As silently as a swooping bird of prey, the squad car crept up behind the shack. 
Before we could react, a booming voice said, Might as well just keep on loading. There, with wide grins plastered across their faces, were the cops. Not quite what we were looking for, but interesting, continued Corporal McIntosh. The younger constable just kept grinning. This had made his day. Most of our audience melted back into the willows, not anxious to be rounded up as accessories. The six or so of us who were caught red-handed could only shrug. Gord's head hung low on his chest. These yours, Gord? Yep. Nice crop. Yep. Guess you could go sit in the squad car while we load the rest of these. Constable Black led Gord to the car and put him in the back seat. All eyes reverted to my truck. Emily and I were still standing in the back. Whose truck is this? asked the cop. Mine, I admitted. He took my name and then Emily's and shook his head. Just doing a good deed? I shrugged. There was nothing to say. Okay, keep loading, he said. Sure enough, in less than five minutes, the back of the pickup was full. Emily and I climbed down, slammed the tailgate, and got into the cab of the truck. Corporal McIntosh climbed in beside us. As we drove slowly out of the woodyard, the crowd parted and many waved. We waved back. Then we drove at a stately pace up the old town hill towards the cop shop. We turned a lot of heads as our verdant and aromatic load swayed its way through the downtown. It was Saturday night. The streets were crowded with partiers migrating between bars. There was cheering. We backed into the loading bay beside the main entrance at RCMP headquarters. A small crowd of police and office workers, alerted about the unexpected hall, were there to greet us. They all looked very impressed and smug. Three young constables unloaded the plants and carried them into the office. There stood Gord, leaning nonchalantly against the wall, fury and indignation glowing in his eyes. He stared at his crop, which he had nurtured so carefully from seeds. Then, in an act of total frustration, he reached over and grabbed a handful of leaves from the closest plant. Without hesitation, he stuffed them into his mouth and began to chew. Nobody stopped him. Well, the cops went down to Old Town to take a look around. Trying to find a snowmobile, but that's not what they found. They stumble on a grow-up, and it seems a bit unjust that that is how they pulled it off their famous Woodyard bust. Some folks were gathered around to watch them move old Iner's shack. The Magrum boys were hauling it with the D4 cat. The job was shaping up to be a bit of a hard fight, so they cracked a couple beers on that dead calm summer night. Now Gary was working on a project in the back. His tools laid out beside him at the entrance to his shack. A neighbor boy came running up, his eyes all filled with fear. With a message for poor Gary, he said, the cops are here. The cops asked him some questions about where he'd been that spring. It seemed there'd been a theft, but Gary didn't know a thing. He didn't mind us questioning. In fact, he was relieved. He wondered if just possibly the cops had been deceived. You see, Gary had a greenhouse where he grew some special plants. The cops were getting close, but then he got a second chance. They got a call on the radio that took priority and headed off to check things out down in Rainbow Valley. Now Gary might have planned things out, imagining the worst, but it turned out that his actions were what caused him to be cursed. For when the cuffs had pulled away, Gary tried his luck by trying to load the potted plants into a pickup truck. 
He turned to neighbor friend and he asked to use her truck. The folks who gathered round all lend a hand to load it up. But when the cops came back, they found the evidence they'd need to blood to bust him for a bulging blue million truckload full of weed. Two, four, six, they got him with a plan, someone hesitate. 10, 12, 14 more, get him in the truck, then load some more. 18, 20, 22, that's a lot of plans for me and you. Truck's loaded down like a ton of bricks, final count is 26. They put Gary in the squad car and headed up the hill. They knew this was a better find than a snowmobile. They made Fry and Drive pick up to the station with the weed, where Gary was a scheming up a funny plan indeed. You see, Gary was a wise man and he got one small reprieve. He suddenly reached out and grabbed a handful of the leaves. And when he stuffed them in his mouth and he began to chew, the cops just stood and stared at him, not knowing what to do. Yeah, the cops went down to Old Town to take a look around, trying to find a snowmobile, but that's not what they found. They stumbled on a grow-up, and it seems a bit unjust that that is how they pulled it off their famous Woodyard bust. Yes, that is how they pulled off their famous Woodyard bust. <laughs> this is Aggie Brockman, and I just want to encourage everybody to listen to the Ragged Old Town podcast. I just, I can never get over how lucky I was. Like, we were talking about that one day, Lanny and Cynthia and I, like just how lucky we were to land here when we landed in the mid-70s, end up in Old Town, and somehow meet all these people who lived in the bush and were doing these amazing things and let us come along. Like, why did they even do that? Like, we could have died. There was people that were getting involved in different things, like fishing and uh, trapping. And I wasn't doing any of that. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? So I thought, well, maybe I could get a job as a cook in a bush camp. So in the beginning of March, uh, we flew up to Elf Lake up in the Barren Lands. You know, it's very much learn on the job, but there was just five guys, and your job all day is to cook, and hopefully everybody gets fed. Of course, I was getting paid some of $30 a day at that time. <laughs> $1,000 at the end of the month. I used, to, I used to do a lot of caribou hunting, but I remember the first time I went and I was a passenger on a skidoo, on a snow machine, and we are out on the... Victory Lake, and we'd borrowed a skidoo from somebody. So they, we, they, I got in the back, but it wasn't the kind, you know, with the little box in the back. No, just like a big drop-off, high-low seat, and then that was it. So we get on, and I'm kind of looking around. My friend takes off, like, you know, like a guy drives, you know, <laughs> right away. Of course, I go flying back, but I don't fall off. I got my legs clamped on there like there's nobody's business, and my body is floating in space behind there. <laughs> As I'm trying to maneuver, uh, hoping for a big super sit-up or maybe a bump, you know, fly me forward. Finally notices that maybe I'm not holding on or something. And he stops and he says, what are you doing? Like, what am I supposed to say? So I said, oh, I'm training for the, you know, skidoo rodeo. What the heck do you think?
the guys kept saying like uh, throughout the, 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 the season, there was kind of their joke, you know, the little joke, oh, some people would pay thousands of dollars to be here. You know, they'd be saying this as they were getting like eaten up by bugs and, uh, you know, whatever, right? But I think that the barrens in the, in the springtime, it's just like being in heaven. You gotta love being there, and uh, I think a lot of people that that stick with that kind of work, they do. They they want to be there. They love being there. Wild women don't get the blues. It's true, isn't it? It's the wild women who made me want to live in the old town. They won't blow their own horns about their strength and do-it-yourself spirit, building houseboats or fishing commercially, setting traps, living close to the land, and just knowing how to take care of themselves and their community. I'm grateful that this is the community that adopted me when I was a lost soul wandering around too. Okay, so this is the third spot you've chosen. Where are we? The government dock, so. I like this spot because, well, I basically come here every day when we boat across to get our bikes to go to school. I like, kind of like the same as Old Town, how the people here kind of are, kind of like they all know each other and like you're just saying hi to everyone when you're here. That's what I love about the government dock, that it's, you always, you know, see someone and you can sit down and have a picnic at the picnic table. It's a really nice public space. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Good. How's your uh, bike ride going? I'm good. You all done? I think so. Okay, when you're done, we're just going to go meet over at the Ayrton uh, Parquet and go for a swim with all those other kids. You better just dive in, honey. Yes, and then I'll go like, with them. Jump. Get away. Move. Oh, Move. Oh, uh-huh. How was it? Good. Was it nice and warm? Yeah. Liar. <laughs> well, Sadie, thank you so much for showing me your favorite spots in the old town. You're welcome. People have often said to me, oh, but when you came up to Yalnack, you were just going to stay for a year. And uh, I think, what? no, I wasn't in that frame of mind. I wanted to go up north, and th that was the plan. There was no, and then, and then I'll go and do something else. It was just like, no, I was here, like, I was here. I guess it doesn't really matter where you live. But don't you want to be a wild woman too? This is Camilla McEachern, and you are listening to Ragged Old Town, created for the legendary Ramble and Ride. Old Town is the heart of my hometown where age has no limits and the dogs just roam around where the hippies use the front door and fit in better than the rich no shirt no shoes no service don't make any sense In this episode of Ragged Old Town, you heard from Sheila Bassey-Kellett and Rosalind Mercredi, Cynthia Brown, Fran Herkham, Sadie Mitchell, Pontiac Mace, Flora and the Fireweeds. 
You also heard some music from Andrea Becker, Tracy Riley, and Ryan McCord. Ragged Old Town is produced by me, Jana Graham, and by Aiden McMahon. Walking home under the midnight sun After a night in the woodyard That could mean neither one A dichotomy of sorts And it ain't changing anytime soon It's wild, it's tame, it's criticized But it's as sure as the moon Home to kings and fisherwomen, artists and butterflies, old legends whose spirit lingers in fireside lullabies. It's been the setting to many lulls on the bay and on the shore, in a few love triangles. Life down the hill is never a bore Old town is the heart of my hometown Where age has no limits And the dogs just roam around Where hippies use the front door And fitting better than the rest no shirt, no shoes, no service Don't make any sense No shirt, no shoes, no service Don't make any sense